I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is former New York Jets defensive lineman Mike DeVito, and you're listening to Play Like a Jet. From Joe Namath's Super Bowl guarantee. I got news for you, buddy. We're going to win the game, I guarantee it. To Ryan Fitzpatrick's contract holdout. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he has not shown up at camp. Where are we with Fitz versus the Jets? And everything in between. They froze. It appeared that Marino was going to try and stop the clock instead. He connected for the fourth time with Mark Ingram. And it is juggled and caught by Jumbo Elliott. This is Play Like a Jet, your weekly look back at some of the best. New York Jets are the world champions. They have upset the Baltimore Colts and beat them handily here today. And worse. Vince Wilfork is going to throw Brandon Moore back into his quarterback. He's going to fumble the football. Mark Sanchez not expecting it. And it was the backside of Brandon Moore that knocked the ball out. Moments in New York Jets history. So get ready to hop in your DeLorean and take a trip back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? For an in-depth look at the most memorable games, seasons, players, and events in the history of gangrene. It's time to play like a Jet. Play like a Jet? What does that mean? With your hosts, Scott Mason and Big John Sparapolis. And welcome to Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And I am joined as always by my tag team partner, the one and only six foot two, two hundred sixty-five pounds, and the man who was the original choice to break the Undertaker streak before Brock Lesnar stole the opportunity out from under him. Just ask Paul Heyman, I'm not making this up. Mr. Big John Sparopoulos, what's going on, John? Scotty, I'm doing well. Uh Long time, a lot of things have changed for our Jets since the last time we spoke. Oh, did they make some moves since the last time we spoke? Scotty, uh, just a few tiny ones, uh, all pro running backs, all pro linebackers are now with the Jets. Yes, yes, yes. Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley, now members of the New York Jets since the last time we spoke, John. What a wild roller coaster ride of speculation, sweating it out, and then in the end, the Jets get their man in Le'Veon Bell, which is the one that most Jets fans had really fixated on. John, it kind of reminded me of when we were at that basketball game back in 2015, the Mavs and the Cavs. In fact, I think the Cavs were just absolutely destroying the Mavericks, so around halftime, we lost interest, and it was the day that everybody was waiting to see what Darrell Revis was going to do. He ended up signing with the Jets. We were super excited, kind of the way Jets fans are now with Le'Veon on Bell. Let's just hope this turns out a little bit better than that one did, right? Yeah, Scotty, here's here's the hoping that this uh, free agent class does a little bit better in the uh, long run. Looking back now, John, I can safely say that despite the blowout, going to the Mavs game and checking out their arena was a much better experience for my psyche than Darrell Revis coming back to the Jets. Yeah, I mean, Scotty, if nothing else about Revis, boy, uh, his free agent timing was impeccable. Yeah, that's for sure. That man knew how to maximize some dollars, just like our old friend Ryan Fitzpatrick. You believe that? He's back in the AFC East. It's like these teams never learn. Scotty, there's only one team left for him to play for, so I'm going to call it here. 
Fitzpatrick will be the next Patriot quarterback at some point. I feel like at some point, as a joke, he should probably sign at the very end when he's ready to retire, like one of those 10-day contracts with the Patriots, just so he can say that he was officially on each of the AFC East teams. It really is wild how he got paid big money from the Bills, then he stunk, so he was gone for a while, went to the Texans, then he comes to the Jets, has a good couple of games, gets hot for a while, gets that contract, gets paid, then he stinks and he's gone again. And then he goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And now he's back with the Dolphins getting paid again. It's really remarkable. you got to say, the Harvard business class has paid off because he must learn a lot on how to maximize your value and be bad and still get paid in this market. Yeah, just, just to think, I mean, how bad is Ryan Tannehill to be shipped out to be the backup so that you could sign Fitzmagic? Yeah, I guess they figured that a little Fitzmagic was better than a little Tannehill. But now, John, they add Josh Rosen to the mix. So he's going to be competing with Fitzmagic for the starting quarterback job. And knowing Josh Rosen's concussion history and the beating that he took last year in Arizona, I wouldn't be surprised at all, even if Fitzpatrick doesn't win the starting job, if he ends up playing a bunch of games for the Dolphins this year. Yeah, Scotty, only time will tell until Fitzmagic has that uh, five-interception game. Uh, This is true. I would imagine that the fans in Miami are going to boo the hell out of him the same way that I'm sure the fans at Shea Stadium would have given him hell when the Jets moved to play with the Giants at Giants Stadium. Now, of course, it's MetLife. We've covered a lot of the Shea years with Wesley Walker, who played there for several years at the beginning of his career. And now we're getting into the seasons where the Jets left Shea and moved on to Giants Stadium. Wesley has been an awesome guest through the first five parts of this series, opening up to us and telling us stories that he hasn't told anybody in interviews. And it's been fascinating to track what he said about a lot of people, including Johnny Lamb Jones, who unfortunately just passed away. But now we're going to pick things up with his memories of leaving Shea Stadium and moving out to Giant Stadium. John, you ready to go talk to Wesley Walker? Uh, geez, Scotty, I'd love to, but uh, Joe's got me on assignment again this week. Hopefully you have your expenses laid out clearly, because I know how Joe gets with those expense reports. You better be neat and orderly, John, or you're not going to see a dime from Joe. Yes, Scotty, I got to make sure to have that cover page on my TPS report. (laughs) All right, John, you go do whatever it is that you're going to go do on assignment for Joe. I give up even asking what it is at this point. I'll go talk to Wesley Walker and we'll meet back here. How's that? Scotty, as always, sounds like a plan. Talk to you soon. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Things change rapidly in the NFL, including where you were going to be playing your games. There was an announcement during the season that the Jets were going to be moving from Shea Stadium to Giants Stadium in New Jersey. A lot of people were upset about it. 
It was going to be moving to a nicer facility, but it was leaving the home that the Jets had known for a really long time, and it's where the fans had grown to really be accustomed to watching the team. It got ugly. There were times where there was fan backlash. Then you had that famous game at Shea, the last one where people were trying to tear down the goalposts and everything. What were some of your memories of playing at Shea, what were your thoughts about everything involving not only playing at Shea, but the process of moving from Shea to Giant Stadium? Well, I feel bad for the fans. And when I play this game, I, I really love the real Jet fans that are they are going to be there through thick and thin, whether you win or lose. And I really respect the fans. I love the fans. Uh, the one thing that really bothered me, though, uh, even though we were at Shea Stadium, I felt like we didn't have our own stadium. We still shared it with the Mets, and I had some good Mets friends there. Uh, and I just felt that we we did have a camaraderie and we did have our own stadium, but I never felt like we had our own stadium. And when we had to move to the Meadowlands at the time, uh, we were told we weren't supposed to say anything. You had to take the high road and... I know guys were pissed, and I know I was pissed, and I, I, I would say what I felt. And you couldn't really, and that's another thing with the uh, NFL or just with business, sometimes you're supposed to project a certain way, and you can't say what you really feel. We were told that. I remember Joe Walton having a meeting where we couldn't say what we really felt, and, you know, we we're going to have to move, it's going to be traffic, whatever it was. And, it, and it's a pain, even when I about going over there now. The Jets have an awesome facility. I'm here in Long Island. I've been here since 1977. Born and bred at Hofstra University. I live here in Dix Hills, and I'm so used to being here. This is what the Jets meant to me. I feel so sorry for all the Jets fans who were putting their time and heart, who really believe in the Jets, because it, it seems like it's a different fan base being in New Jersey, but the hike and the, what it takes to get over there, it could be somewhat a hassle. And I, I remember separating my shoulder, and uh, they wanted to take me to the hospital, but I wanted to go home and have to drive home and what it took to get home to my own place, and it just never felt like home. And I never felt that we had our own place. And when I think about the Giants, who is in New York, and the Jets, in New York, they're in New Jersey. And as far as I'm concerned, they should be the New Jersey Jets and the New Jersey Giants. But that's just the way it is, and that's the business aspect, and that's another aspect of the business that needs to be told. And it's not about the fans. It's not about the players. It's about the business itself. And I would like to know why the teams are there and People will tell the truth business-wise because it's an investment for the owners or whatever, but I never felt we had our own identity of being at home, and that was very, very hard to deal with. Nobody really liked it, but we couldn't say what we really felt, and we just kept things to ourselves. And You can say certain things now, but I used to uh, tease uh, Bruce Harper because he lived in New Jersey, he had the reverse commute where he had to come over to Hofstra University all the way from New Jersey, born and raised in Inglewood. And I never knew how we could do that. But now we have the reverse commute going to the games right now, so i got to relate that. Uh, but as a 
former player, as a New York Jet, you have to adjust to the business, and that's what you have to do. And regardless of the situation, it still doesn't mean that you can't put forth the emphasis of putting what you need to do to try to be successful as a team. And I know and I feel that all of our players would do that. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You mentioned the business aspect, and that would come into play in 1984 for you because in 1983, you had a career high in reception, 61. A lot of people don't remember that because it wasn't your flashiest season, but you played very well, and you decided you should be rewarded. So as you alluded to before, you held out of training camp. Can you take me through that process of what made you decide you wanted to do that and how the whole holdout process played well, through? You just mentioned like having a, like a reception, 61. That's nothing compared to what you know the top receivers catch. And receptions, you want to put up the numbers. And uh, I always prided myself in uh, production. And you don't, I may not have gotten the catches, but you put up the yardage numbers. And 61 is nothing. I used to be so frustrated. And as a receiver, uh, when they do your stats, they look at the number of receptions and not necessarily the number of yards or TDs that you put up. And me, I want to put up the production. So that really never meant anything to me. But when you had to hold out or try to stand up, and the reason I really held out is because a lot of situations, there's a lot of politics, uh, management would even, you know, negotiate contracts with certain players, or and, and I'm looking at certain players that were getting certain contracts done, and I'm looking at well, I'm an all-pro, you know, player, and you're not getting mine done, and you look at certain situations. So it's always a, a business decision or certain things that you had to fight, and I always felt like I had to stand up for what I really believed in, but I always felt that, there were certain things that should have been done and it wasn't, but that's just the business aspect of it. And it was very, very frustrating. And when you look at the, the reception, when you say 61, that's nothing to me. I want to put up the numbers. Uh, when I look back on my career, um, I, I should have been much better than that. The only blemish I would say that kept me from being or at least having the success is because I couldn't stay healthy, and that's all part of it. If I look at a guy like Jerry Rice, who trained and he worked hard, and sometimes just being with the right team, the right element, the right players, and being in the right situation, and you look at uh, certain players that uh, around the league, and even players that I played with or played against in college, and I felt I was just as good, or if not better, but a lot of it's just luck and staying healthy, and doing certain things, and I wish I could redo it so I can um, at least say I did everything I needed to do in the proper way, but we didn't have the, let's say, the knowledge or even the, the, the system. We didn't have the training program, some of the things that you had in decision. We were kind of on our own. It was just so different uh, compared to what they do now. And it's very tough, and, I, and, I, and it makes me think of Mo uh, Wilkerson right now who has injuries, but yet, you know, he's in a situation right now, and there's no formula that's going to be perfect, and you just have to adjust to the time. But I just wish I had some of the things that were available to 
uh, the players that they, the things that are going on now that were available that I could have actually uh, been able to have access to. But we were just on our own. And a lot of people don't realize when you're doing things yourself, it's just not that easy because you're it's a guest game. You're, you're trying to do what you think is best. Coaches may have certain things. I've had trainers telling me different things, how to train, this, that, and I'm not really feeling well, and I'm, I want to go do something else that makes me feel better. There's no one feeling. You just want to get into a program that's going to be right for you, and that's a hit-and-miss type of thing, and that's all doing research and trying to figure out the best format, and I just wish I could do it all over again to see if it would be different if I could do it the way I think it should be done. So do you think at the time that it was unfair that you didn't have the recourse of free agency that these guys have now? Absolutely. We didn't have that. I remember, um, you know, if they just wanted to, say, get rid of me or trade me and you hear these different interests, and I remember it came up. Uh, and a lot of times you play against certain teams that you did well against and they were interested. And I remember being from California, supposedly Al Davis was interested and the Jets were were interested in maybe making a deal, but something didn't happen. I don't know the real truth behind it, whether the Jets really wanted to do that, and it didn't work out. But I don't know the whole situation. But now, guys, they move around, you know, contracts and everything else. And I wish we were, uh, in my time, would have been able to do that. And the bottom line is, and, and, when, and, and I really hate when people say that because I said it myself when I was renegotiating, it's not about the money, but it is about the money. It is about trying to uh, get the best that you can to make the most that you can so you can secure your future or whatever. It's a business thing. You, you, obviously, you want to play and you want to contribute and you want to do the best that you can as a team. But it's a business, and that's the way the Jets or any organization treats it. I mean, I can kind of relate that uh, the general manager of the Yankees, whether it's money or you're not winning or there's just so much that goes into it that you really don't know. I just wish the teams and the clubs would just tell the truth of the matter, whether it's the money or, you know, it could be age or whatever it is or they're not happy with, but it is a business. That's what that's the bottom line of it. And, and I wish everything could be, you know, uh, hunky-dory and everything works out for the organizations or the players. But unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Somebody's got to leave, somebody's got to go, or it's money. And it's unfortunate. And, uh, and I don't care who you are at some point in time, it's not going to end well. And hopefully, uh, whether it's a player or a coach or a general manager, it will end on your terms. But more or less, it's not going to be that way. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So this is the season where Leon Hess took over full ownership of the Jets. What were your memories of Leon Hess? What did you think of him as an owner? I respected Leon. And now Leon was, uh, and I'll have to be honest, I don't think he would even know the players without looking at a nameplate when he came into the locker room. I can remember him coming through there, and I know he had to look at the nameplate to see who he was even talking to. But I remember uh, one of the years that I held out, and Joe Walton called me at home trying to put pressure on me to come into training camp or whatever. And I didn't really appreciate that. And I, I actually called Leon Hess to say, hey, you know, uh, the Jets had promised me that, uh, this, that. And I think Mr. Kinzel, Jim Kinzel, was the uh, president at the time. 
and there were some things that they said they were going to do that they did not, and that's the reasoning behind my holdout. And we had a long conversation. We didn't really make any headway with each other, but at least we put everything on the table. And I really felt at the time nothing was going to be done, or the way he sounded, it was like, hey, you should take this, you should take that, or whatever. But I'll be damned, after our conversation, and I know uh, um, uh, Steve Gutman, who was the president at the time, who I was negotiating with with my agent, uh, who was very pissed that I, even, I I called Leon Hess. And I'm like, you called uh, Joe Walton, put pressure on me. And even though I didn't make any headway with Leon Hess, negotiations got started, I ended up signing the contract. And it had to be because of Leon Hess, and I had a lot of respect for that. So Leon Hess takes over the team, and it looks like you're going to have a new quarterback. Richard Todd is traded, and now it's going to be Ken O'Brien and Pat Ryan. But Ken O'Brien has an assault case, so he ends up missing some time, and Pat Ryan is the starter right off the bat. Team starts off 3-1. and one. Seems like you guys have got some good chemistry. At this point, O'Brien's the new guy, but Pat Ryan's been around for a while. Does the team feel comfortable with Pat leading the charge, and maybe there's almost a thought like, eh, who needs this Ken O'Brien kid? You know, it's, it's funny that you brought that up, and I'm glad you did, because, like, with me, uh, and I've always said, you know, uh, people are like, who do you like? Kenny O'Brien, Pat Ryan, you know, Matt Robinson. I don't care who it is, just throw me the ball. Now, I had a, a great relationship with Kenny O'Brien, and I will go to bat for that guy over anybody in the NFL because I love this guy and what he brought to the table. But if you were to put Pat Ryan up there, I would say the same thing about him or Matt Ryan or Richard Todd. It's just I don't care who those are. I'll just get to them because they all brought something to the table and they could get it done. Pat Ryan, I felt really bad for because every time, even if he got a little start, he would get nicked up or a little injury or something. But he's very capable and very good and if he was back there, I would have success with him. But there was no starter, any quarterback that would be uh, subbed in, whether somebody got hurt that I didn't have confidence in at, at, at any time. And Pat Ryan certainly was one of them. I just felt bad for him because I know he had the ability. He just didn't get the opportunity because of whether it was Kenny O'Brien or just been in a situation with Richard Todd or whatever. Uh, but certainly if he got the opportunity, he would produce, but and he, but sometimes when you get that opportunity and he would get hurt or whatever, that something would get dinged up or something happens, and that's just the NFL. It is so hard to stay healthy and to win in the NFL. That's just a reality. And Pat Ryan showed that, like you said, it didn't matter who it was, whether it was Ryan, whether it was Todd, whether it was O'Brien or Matt Robinson. You could catch passes from anybody. You had a three-touchdown game against Tampa. On the other hand, the defense not quite having as good of a time. They were struggling a lot. And then Lions and Klecko got banged up around midseason and missed a lot of time. But in their absence, Mark Gastineau stepped up and had a huge season. He broke a record with 22 sacks, which stood until that whole mess with Michael Strahan and Brett Favre many years later. We've talked about Gastineau a bit, and we'll talk about him more, but this was his record-breaking season. Tell me a little bit about Mark Gastineau. He's known as a ferocious competitor. What do you remember best about playing with him, and what are some of your memories? Mark Gastineau was, God, a freak of nature, and I, I just can remember him 
he came in the training camp one year. He looked like a like a big bodybuilder, running four six forty, uh, and certainly what he brought to the table, uh, putting pressure on quarterbacks. Him and Joe Glecko, oh my God, it's just I don't even know what to say. Uh, and Joe Glecko is like my MVP when I think about sacks because when I look at uh, personality, I look at more than just the athletic ability, but I look at personality. And sometimes personalities get in the way of what you should be as a person, and it kind of takes away from it. And that sometimes separated uh, the good ones where you would feel a lot more or at least better because you know, you're not just into yourselves. And I just felt like Bart sometimes, and then Jack Glucko, I'm sure, sometimes everybody had these egos, and I, I never wanted to be like that. You wanted just to contribute. But when I look at both those guys, and especially Mark Gaston with the speed, the strength, and I used to marvel at it. And I remember watching him and uh, Marvin Powell just go at it at practice every day. It, I used to just marvel. And here is, I'm watching linemen go at I'm a receiver. You shouldn't be watching two linemen just going at it. But it was just a marvel to watch and the accomplishments. And I just wish personality-wise we would have been a team and we would have cared about each other more, would have never had these ego type of mentalities and I think we would have been much better but as far as I'm concerned there was no one better than Mark Gassano or Joe Blecko and how do you compare the two different type you know athletes but they're just great in their own right but I used to just marvel at his speed and his tenacity and a lot of people used to get mad with his you know like with the dance thing and that's something that he came up and he never did it, as far as I'm concerned, as uh, really getting into somebody's face and, like, rubbing it in where it rubs you in the wrong way. I'm sure some athletes that took offense to that. But he was just a great athlete and a, just a great person. And I, I, I just don't know any anybody better with the physical size, strength, and speed that he had, and that was hard to match. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You just brought up egos and guys not playing together. Was there anything specific? You don't have to name names or anything, but was there a feeling you got about how maybe you guys would have played better if there would have been more teamwork? Were there certain guys that were, shall we say, going into business for themselves and really caring more about their individual stats than the team? Is that the way you felt at the time? It's hard to uh, say, you know what, and I wish I could be in it every individual, like, head and where they really came from. And you can only look from the outside, looking at for what your opinions are, and it may be different from what those individuals, like, feel. I just know that there was some animosity between uh, Mark Gasso, Mark Lyons, and Joe Blecko. I know that uh, there would be, like, appearances. And, and when I see Mark even now, there are certain actions that I don't agree with that I understand where people would get like sort of pissed off at him and the way he is and and we all brought something to the table but even now there are certain things that are happening with our bodies and our minds that are different now too because I look at Mark right now 
and and you didn't think about it at the time. There are things that are going on where you kind of don't understand, but you start thinking maybe something was wrong in the beginning, whether it's your mind or I don't know if it has anything to do with this, you know, the concussion thing, CTE, but personality-wise, there's something like there. And I have a couple of my teammates were, you look at the way they were talking where you didn't understand certain and they've been like that for a long time, and maybe there's something physically wrong with them. But I know there was a big split in personalities and things that I see even now, even back then. And I would be the first person to go to defense of Mark sometimes. And now when I look back on it, um, man, I say, wow, this guy is not the person that I thought he was. But he may have something going on that we don't really know. And it's very disappointing because, you know, there are certain things that I didn't see, but I still don't discount, like, whether it's uh, Joe Glecko or Mark, great athletes, just great physical people, and you cannot replace that. And you just wish that the personality would come together and as one, and, and them two together, where you really cared about one another and you, because I think it would make you much better. And I really believe, that's my opinion, we didn't have that on all phases and with just our whole team, just everybody just being different. And maybe just because we had different backgrounds and I just wasn't really used to that, but I really felt that because we preach family, but I feel like we just weren't together as a real family or people understanding whether it's different backgrounds and we never understood each other. And, uh, and I think if we really had that close bond, I thought, that's my opinion, we would have done much better. But we could have had that bond and still it's so hard to win in this league. It may never happen either. So, uh, I, you know, I, that's just my opinion. I don't know. I, I would like to think that we would have been much better if it was like that, but you never know. It's just so hard to win in this league, whether you have it together or, you, or you're that really close-knit group or not. One guy that was going to become a member of that group was Ken O'Brien. At the very end of the season, week 12, he made his first start. A couple weeks later, you guys would be eliminated from the playoffs, but the young quarterback showed some strides. He struggled a little bit. Didn't do a lot with you early on, but did you feel like you were building chemistry a little bit, and did you see something in Kenny O'Brien early on that let you know that this guy was for real and he was going to be the guy for the long term? Well, I, I don't think you really know that. It's just the, the relationships you just kind of strike up, and, you know, he didn't come in with the, like the, you know, he came in with a good, great group of players that were drafted during that year, and I know I always see the taste for it. Fans were booing him. Who is this guy? And I love Kenny O'Brien because he just reminded me of my quarterback in, in college that uh, passed away of cancer, Joe Roth. Just this, not only the quality of play and, and the athleticism that he had to be able to pass the ball, but the personality. And I can care less whether you were successful or not. I look at the person. And Kenny O'Brien was a, a good person and someone you just love just being around and very modest and he never complained. That, this guy would get beat up. I mean, I would see him get a hit. 
time and time again, get up and still do his job. And I struck up a relationship with him just working out, being here during the off season. Just a special, just a special bond. And when you have players that you really respect or you want to be with, and that's what I'm talking about. Like I wish all of us had that with each other, and I don't even know if we really had that for each other. We, guys would have that with certain players, but I wanted the team, everybody, to feel that about each other. And there was not anything that I wouldn't do for Kenny O'Brien or had the confidence that he could do it. Uh, but just uh, and forget that, the athleticism or the football board, it's just the person that he was. And that way, I have more respect for that. He was certainly a great athlete. So 1984 was a bit of a down year for you, and in 1985, the Jets pick Al Toon in the first round out of Wisconsin. Did you see this as maybe a message to you? You had held out the year before. You're starting to get on in your career, and this is the second time that they'd done this because in 1980, as we talked about, they drafted Johnny Lamb Jones really high. Did you see this as a bit of a message to you? It's funny. I was going to say Johnny Lamb Jones. That's what they felt. It's just really funny how... When, you know, people, you know, when you, uh, this is the business aspect of it, and that's what the reporters would uh, focus on. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, we were trying to make ourselves better as a team. I just remember we had a coordinator, John Isaac, and when they drafted Lamb Jones, he wanted two speed receivers. I mean, we couldn't keep it together health wise. And when they drafted Al Toon, okay, it's another receiver. That was the whole thing. Well, if somebody can beat me out, then that's a whole other thing. But we were working together. They, they, I don't I don't think they had another wide receiver. Al Toon wasn't going to come in and do it by himself. But I never looked at that as a slap in the face. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, you want healthy competition coming in. And I respected anyone coming in. And obviously, as an athlete, as, uh, as being a competitor, I don't care who you drafted. Hey, I'm going to try to be the best that there could be. But I welcomed the competition, but I had no problem with Lamb Jones or Al Toon at the time. You missed a little bit of time here. You had missed four games the year before, and you missed the first four games of this season, but you weren't the only one that missed early time. There were some holdouts here, as your old buddy Marvin Powell and Reggie McElroy, both of them held out the two tackles, and Al Toon, who had been drafted in the first round. They don't come in until game two, and Ken O'Brien is starting the season fresh as a quarterback, so... Did you guys feel like there was a lot of instability there with you being hurt, the guys holding out, and now Kenny has to take the reins in kind of a hostile situation? And absolutely not. And and what is really uh, interesting as a player, uh, and when you look at certain things, when you're trying to get what you really deserve, and it's a shame that McElroy or Marvin had to hold out. Marvin was one of the best linemen that I've ever seen in my life. There's no reason he should be put in that position. I'd be the first to tell Marvin, hold out. I remember when I held out, Marvin was the first. Do, don't do it. I remember Lamb Jones got hurt. It just made everything better. Why a team would even put pressure on you or try to do that or even alienate you to, because sometimes you have this like attitude. And how do you want to play for a team that you feel that doesn't want to be in your corner? or is going to support you, or give you what you need. And the biggest problem that I had is not that, okay, a team is supposed to bend over backwards, but they would do that for certain people. 
But this is the business part of it, and you can't look at that. But I would support any one of my teammates. It doesn't matter if you hold out or you're there in training camp. Hey, I'm going to welcome them there if they're not there or if they're there. This is just a part of the business that you have to deal with. There's part six of our in-depth discussion with Wesley Walker, the New York Jets' legendary wide receiver. Some more incredible stories, including what happened when the Jets left Shea Stadium to go move to Giants Stadium. And now there's no Giants Stadium anymore. It's MetLife Stadium that they share. It's still amazing to me to think that the Jets played in a baseball stadium, but times were certainly different back then. Can't even imagine guys as big and bad as Big John Sparopoulos trying to play football games in a baseball stadium. But that's what happened back then. Nowadays, though, John practically has to fly corporate because John is so big and so bad, it's hard for him to even fit into one of these seats on a regular commercial airliner which is what he had to do when our fearless leader Joe Caparoso sent him out on assignment. I have no idea what it is that he was doing because every time I ask, he gives me a ridiculous answer, so I didn't even bother. But now that he's back, I might as well ask him, John, what were you doing and how did it go? Uh, Scotty, I think it went well. I uh, came back to my uh, home region up in the northeast, and I covered Hofstra University. What do you mean you covered Hofstra University? John, we've been over this. Hofstra disbanded its football program a couple of years ago. Don't you remember? Got kicked out of that NCAA rankings meeting when you suggested Hofstra should be in the top five. Uh, Scotty, I think we're getting definitions mixed up. So I got called in. uh, They were having a job fair for their recent college graduates, and I was trying to see if I could get any talents in my company I thought you said Joe sent you out there. Why would Joe send you out there for a job fair? Not Joe Caparoso. Joe, my boss at work, sent me. Uh, Why didn't you tell me that? I'm sitting here waiting to take notes with bated breath, looking for all kinds of reports. All you're telling me is you were at a job fair. Did you at least meet any interesting Hofstra students that were looking for jobs? Scotty, I sure did, and I gave the men's basketball team a uh, pep talk. Uh, At least all wasn't lost. Did you get some Mario's Pizza out of the deal? Scotty, I sure did, and unfortunately my pep talk didn't work. Uh, Yes, that's the Hofstra way, unfortunately. But, John, you don't go to Hofstra expecting to see some sort of big-time athletic program. Yeah, Scotty, especially not since I'm not there anymore. It's true, John. Once you lose a guy as big and bad as you, there's nowhere to go but down. It's true, Scotty. It's damn true. (laughs) Oh, at least you found some possible talent for your company. That's the important thing, right? Yes, Scotty. I need some interns to go get me coffee. If getting Big John coffee isn't a great start in your business career, I don't know what is. One thing that's easier and less expensive than getting Big John a cup of coffee is going to support our producer, Alan Schechter, who is now with the very big deal Chris Nimbley over at JetsInsider.com. So all of the work over there is written by either Chris or Alan. You can't lose either way. It's some of the best Jets coverage out there. That and, of course, TurnOnTheJets.com, where Joe Caparoso is cranking out a new article every 10 seconds. So if you want great Jets coverage, check out Alan and Chris over at JetsInsider.com. Check out TurnOnTheJets.com. John, I know that you check out both sites regularly. Although, John, I know sometimes you get tempted to read your old buddy Manish Mehta in the New York Daily News. Boy, Scotty, talk about the full baby face turn for him. 
Well, Alan was a baby face the whole time. <laughs> I know you're talking about Manish, but still, make sure you visit our friend Alan Schechter and, of course, the very big deal, Chris Nimbley over at JetsInsider.com. And check out all of our work at TurnOnTheJets.com. Leave an iTunes review, please, also, because Joe Caparoso has like 400 iTunes reviews, so he's still got us beat by so many. If you could go ahead and leave one for us and help us start to catch up, we'd really appreciate it. By the way, if you don't like the show, then forget I said anything. Thanks again to Wesley Walker for joining us again this week. We will be back to talk to him for part seven of our series on his long 13-year career with the New York Jets next week. Aren't you looking forward to that, Bart Scott? Can't wait! Ah, uh, Bart, it must have stung real hard when you saw the report in the newspaper that Adam Shine is the number one choice to take over the afternoon drive slot. He ended up turning it down and staying with Sirius. But I would imagine that you and Chris Carlin and Maggie Gray were not happy with the fact that you weren't offered the slot first and the fact that it got reported in the media. That's going to do it for us this week. My name's Scott Mason. My tag team partner is Big John Sparopoulos. And I believe you know, John, that there is only one way that we can end this show. That's right, Scotty. A pleasure as always. And um, I guess I got to take Hofstra off my list of excuses because it's not working. Brick, break it down. One, two, three. And the hole.